it's Chris Patton here. I am a professional speaker, author, trainer, mentor, and performance coach operating out of Kelowna, British Columbia. I work with my clients to create a state of ease and grace and peace. We all know that when we can create that within ourselves, that is actually how we create a better world. And we know, we know that um, we follow the advice of Mahatma Gandhi, be the change that we wish to see in the world. So we know that when we clean up our own backyards, we are far more effective in this world today, particularly it being June of 2020. We are still in the shadow of COVID. On top of that, as if that wasn't enough, we have, we, many of us are experiencing financial issues and not just individually, but economically as societies, um, we're going to be noticing big changes coming up. And again, if that wasn't enough, now we are experiencing violence in various parts of the world as people are speaking up. There are many reasons to be in stress. There are many reasons to be anxious. Let's not give ourselves any more reasons than already exist. And we know also intrinsically that the state of stress leads to um, illness and eventually all-cause morbidity. So today is going to be about how to create that better state within ourselves because it is a choice. We have to create those choice points for us to make better decisions for ourselves. And we'll get into that in a moment. Um, I'm going to begin with a little story. And the story is about a rather large warehouse district. There are 50 trillion warehouses in this huge, um, magnificent warehouse district. And just after the warehouse district is constructed, things are going really well. There's a heck of a beyond compare uh, communication system and, and logistics system among the 50 trillion warehouses. And this district booms along in business for quite a while. And then suddenly this district notices that communication uh, among the warehouses is beginning to suffer. It's, there's a white noise that is beginning and it is interfering with hearing the signals that are to be met between the warehouses. Logistics begins to suffer and that communication system seems to uh, be lessened uh, every day. Then a gang of looters and vandals show up. And in the beginning, they only came once in a while, but as time goes on, these looters and vandals uh, become more habitual in their attack on the warehouses and the contents of the warehouse. And if that wasn't enough, now we're finding that the contents of the warehouses are turning up. Uh, the products are either rotten um, or toxic in some fashion, uh, moldy or incendiary. So this beautiful 50 trillion warehouse district begins to suffer. How long do you think that district is going to stay in business? It's my question to you. I'm going to tell you another little story. I'm actually going to borrow this from the wisdom of my son, Scott Patton, who is a former biomedical student, uh, physical trainer, um, entrepreneur, and founder of a system called Optimal uh, daily optimization, and a keen student of life. And I basically stole this from you, Scott. I apologize. 
but this is a beautiful explanation of what we are dealing with in our bodies. Here it is. Your body is more magnificent than you could ever imagine. It is comprised of trillions of cells, each completing millions of reactions every second of every day. This level of sophistication and coordination is beyond anything a human being can consciously perceive or imagine. To use a metaphor, try to envision a business that relies on 50 trillion warehouses, all working together in a coordinated fashion while individually completing millions of tasks per day. Done. To put it simply, our bodies are machines of infinite molecular chaos that allow for the rich and diverse experience of life. It is best to recognize our bodies as high-functioning, organic supercomputers, capable of operating many life-sustaining functions while we go about our daily lives. For example, there is a high degree of automaticity when it comes to beating our hearts, digesting our food, breathing the air, healing our wounds, etc. Though from time to time, we may consciously choose to override the natural rhythm of our breath, to move our body in ways that forces our hearts to beat faster, or to relax into a meal to allow for efficient digestion. The point is, regardless of our attention to our biological functions, our bodies are continually working to return to a state of balance and organization. It is this state of energetic coordination among our systems that creates excellent health and increases happiness. Have you ever noticed that when there is something wrong in your body, your emotional state is poor? This is but one indication of our mind-body connection. An orchestra is a useful metaphor when considering our role in operating our bodies. As a conscious decision maker, we act as the composer. We do not control each individual instrument. Rather, we use minimal inputs and cues to set the rhythm that allows for the instruments to coordinate and cooperate in producing a unified resonant sound. We have the power to expose ourselves to different practices, techniques, and environments which will allow for divine expression in physical human form. Pretty moving. And this is our job as conscious creators of our lives. We really need to integrate that our bodies are our best friends. It's the vehicle that is going to take us through, hopefully, a very long life, a very long, joyous, happy, thriving, vital, glowing life. What's the saying about it's not the number of years in your life, but the life in your years? So <clears throat> the most important thing to understand about stress is that it is a physiological condition. It all manifests in our bodies. And the way to deal with it most effectively is in a physical, physiological way. This is not some complex psychological attitude or condition um, that we don't know what to do with, so we don't do anything about. We have to understand, here's the first thing to really understand well, is that we will never change our subconscious programming quickly or effectively with conscious thinking. We can create moments of calm and peace. We can create different attitudes. And yes, over a period of time, we work on that subconscious programming. But the most effective way we need to understand is that the process that our body has 
to stay alive, the biological imperative, which I'll get into in a moment, is found, the source is found within our brains. There's parts of our brain that will keep us in fight or flight. And then our body becomes addicted to that. We'll talk more about that in a moment. It's only through neural signals from the heart that we are actually going to address the physical condition of stress. Again, mindfulness, meditation uh, are good ways to bring momentary calm and peace to our systems. And if you follow Dr. Joe Dispenza's work uh, into deep meditation to create that absolute uh, zero point of stillness, yes, we can create new personalities for ourselves. But the faster way, again, to the fight or flight condition that we are in is to understand that our heart is the source of that. You see, we are wired as human animals. First of all, the bi biological imperative is to stay alive on the earth. I think we've done that well enough. We now have, what, some 8 billion people on this planet. So our brain is always looking out for something that can hurt us. That's what's kept us out of danger and alive for a millennia or however, however long you think we've been on the planet. And it's a good one, but we've hijacked it. So we're going to get into that uh, in a moment. Important to note, the stress response. Do you know that the heart takes the first hit with every predominant and even sometimes a fleeting cascade of emotion? Our emotions are deeply connected to everything that we think, feel, say, and do. What happens when the heart takes the first hit is your heart rhythms will change. So what happens is something will happen in our environment that informs us it's either good, mad, glad, sad, whatever. Your heart takes the first hit. And then through the afferent nerve signals, in other words, ascending nerve signals, now the brain is informed that this has happened. And then through your central nervous system, now all the cells in your body are informed. This is what's going on within this mammal, this human animal. Our individual patterns of response are um, designed according to how we've been conditioned and what our life experience has been. That will differ among us and between us. But the fact is that that basic stress response is what happens. And we have to understand emotions are very, very powerful. They have been called the primary drivers of our physiology. And the cascade of chemicals as a result of emotion will either replenish or diminish our physiology. Mark Twain once said, I've lived through some terrible things in my life, some of which actually happened. So in order to understand how all of this connects, we have to learn about our hearts and the system that runs our bodies and our lives. So it's really important now to talk about the um, autonomic nervous system. This system regulates over 90% of our body's internal functions, including, not limited to, our breathing, digestion, heart rate, immune system, important aspects of the hormonal system, alertness, and sleep. So there are two branches to the autonomic nervous system. There is the sympathetic side and the parasympathetic side. And your sympathetic side is the fight or flight. This is the gas pedal to mobilize us to deal with any danger that has, we have perceived. What happens physiologically is that the mobilization system is that your 
amygdala, your hippocampus, your hypothalamus all coordinate to locate the danger. The hypothalamus signals the pituitary gland to release cortisol, uh, adrenaline, and histamine, among other things, cortisol being particularly toxic. And what is this, this is designed to do is to mobilize us to either fight or flee. So what happens is our heart rate goes up, our blood pressure goes up, our visual acuity sharpens, and all resources go to our, our outer limbs in order to perform this role. Now, naturally, in our olden days, when we came out of our cave and noticed the saber-toothed tiger, this would happen. And when the danger was passed, we either fought off the tiger and made him lunch, or we got away. Then the parasympathetic side would kick in, noticing the danger has passed. Now it's responsible for bringing all of the systems within our body back to homeostasis back to organizational capacity. So this is the side, then is the gas pedal. All resources now return to what they're supposed to do. Do you remember being told when you were kids, don't eat dinner or a meal and then go swimming because you'll drown? I was told that, maybe you weren't. Maybe my parents were crazy. Um, but there's logic to that because what happens is you will no longer digest your food when you're involved in a physical activity because all of your resources have gone to anything outside of your, your gut. So the parasympathetic side then brings your heart rate back to normal, your blood pressure back to normal, and you can go walking along picking your berries and thinking about what you're going to kill for your lunch. That's how this was supposed to work, but the problem is that we've hijacked it, and we'll get into that in a moment. Do you know that the heart has its own complex nervous system that can be thought of as the heart brain? And this understanding has come from research in the medical field called neurocardiology. The heart sends far more information to the brain than the brain sends to the heart. And funny enough, this has been known since the late 1880s, but it's been largely forgotten or ignored. The neural signals that the heart sends to the brain affect the brain centers that govern decision-making, creativity, and self-regulation. Both branches of the autonomic nervous system connect to the heart. And why this is important is because any change in the activity of the autonomic nervous system, fight or flight or relaxation, affects the heart on a beat to beat basis. And this is called heart rate variability. Two facts I wanna throw at you. Do you know that neurons, so the cells that are endemic to the brain and the central nervous system, set up so that they can create an electrical charge whether it's a chain or a cluster, this is a memory or a thought. Those neurons, a form of them, sensory neurites, are found in the ganglia of your heart. This is the nervous system that I've talked about. Do you also know that you have more neurons in your upper gut than you have in your entire spinal column? Pretty fascinating. We actually do think and think very well with our hearts and our guts. So let's talk about heart rate variability for a moment. I mentioned the heart and its rhythms a moment ago, so here's some facts. So the heart rate is simply the number of beats per minute, so the number of times that your heart contracts in a minute. The heart does not beat in a steady, exact same timing, beat-to-beat -beat basis. In fact, your heart actually naturally speeds up and slows down. And the more that your heart speeds up and slows down, which is present when we're younger than when we're older, indicates good health, happiness, and longevity. 
This rhythm can either be steady, ordered, and coherent, so think of a sine wave, or disordered, coherent, and, and sorry, diso disordered, chaotic, or, and incoherent, and that is a stress pattern. So the ordered pattern is indicative of a coherent heart state. So you're more at peace, you're happy, and you're thriving. There's more of an alignment within your system. And the disordered rhythm means that you're not, that you are suffering from stress and dysregulation. So what I'm getting at today is understanding, first of all, why we need to move to more of a perfect, balanced homeostasis within our bodies for, again, uh, to, to enjoy a great life. We know that when we feel better physically, our life looks better. We feel better about things. We feel magnanimous. We have energy. We laugh more. We smile more. We have energy to take on not just the daily minutiae of our tasks, but bigger things, things that provide more meaning to our life. And all of that just snowballs into something that is really more beautiful. And there is a way to do that. And surprisingly, simple, but powerful. So this is creating the state of heart-brain balance, known as resilience, or heart coherence, as the HeartMath Institute likes to call it. So coherence is the optimal state of physiological functioning in which the heart, mind, and emotions are in sync and balanced. Physiologically, coherence is used to describe the state in which the immune, the hormonal, and the nervous systems function in a state of energetic coordination. Remember the analogy to the orchestra. Sometimes the horn section is loud, sometimes the wind section is loud, but it all works together in whatever way it needs to to produce, produce that beautiful, beautiful sound, that rich and diverse sound of depth and breadth. And we can do this. We can do this when we coordinate the systems within our body better. A major source of stress for many people is not having their thoughts and emotions in sync and aligned. When you are energetically centered or coherent, you have a greater mental and emotional flexibility and composure. Sustained coherence, which we need to learn how to create, builds your resilience capacity and is a regenerative state in and of itself that can quickly recharge your inner battery and bring more stability to your system. So the basis of this is understanding we have two types of emotion for ease. We have depleting emotion and renewing emotion. We at HeartMath don't talk about emotions as good, bad, positive, or negative because all emotion is good. All emotion is generated from within and has a message for us to read and a message for us to understand about choices we're making, what we're doing, where we can go. So emotion is good. Having a bad emotion is telling us, stop that. Don't do that. Don't be with that person, whatever. But the point here is that unnecessary generation of depleting emotion has a toxic effect on our body. So emotions are much more than thoughts. Emotions either drain or renew us. And they are the primary activators of hormonal release. They set in motion over 1,400, 1,400 chemical markers within our systems, whether it's renewing or depleting, but the markers will be markedly different. Emotions are also what motivate us and determine what we care about in life 
and they determine how we choose to spend our energy. So depleting emotions like fear, and where have we been in the last two, three months? We've been in fear. We've been in confusion. We've been kept down if we choose. Frustration, impatience, and anger all have negative consequences for physiology, resilience, health, and performance. Big emotional upsets are not the only ones that drain our energy. More energy can be drained from the accumulation of the quieter ongoing emotional reactions. So we understand very well that a big emotional breakup, so something that triggers us and makes us crazy, is like putting your foot flat on the gas in the car. You're gonna wear out your car and you're gonna go through a lot of gas. We understand how they can drain our system. But again, it's those quieter emotions that kind of run under the radar. So it's, it's the low level of stress, worry, regret, guilt, shame, confusion, all of those things that are quiet but are acting are like getting out of your car at night and closing the door and going in the house and the light, the light has been left on. You know what happens very slowly, it will drain your battery. So accumulated emotional reactions over time have a number of unhealthy effects on the body. And here's what happens. We as human beings, we're so used to being in our head, we habituate and desensitize very quickly to the things in our lives. And to our brains, sometimes it's like everything's okay. But we've stuffed all of those emotions into our body. And unless we actually deal with those emotions, they're there. And your body has been speaking to you for quite some time. So are you listening? The stress hormone cortisol which is produced even during brief emotional reactions, like feeling impatient or anxious in the moment, sets in motion a cascade of biochemical changes that can last up to 12 hours in the body. That's why you can have an emotional upset in the morning and not sleep at night. And unfortunately, sleep is one of our primary ways to replenish our system, and many of us no longer sleep well. We put this down to age. It's not age, it's the stress condition within our body that is preventing this from happening. And it's not just stress, it's what we eat, what we drink, what we expose ourselves to, all of that. So we need to know depleting emotions can affect the body with brain cell death, reduced muscle mass, impaired memory, accelerated aging, impaired mental function, and that's the executive functions. This is the foresight. This is the planning. This is the being able to rise above and have composure when there's awful things going on and not make a mistake, not say something stupid, not do something stupid that you have to clean up and apologize for. And this ultimately reduces performance over time. Renewing emotion, on the other hand, like enjoyment, appreciation, gratitude, love, care, compassion, adventure, acceptance, and tolerance. These have a beneficial effect in and of themselves on our physiology. They, renewing emotions, attitudes, and feelings actually recharge our inner batteries. Positive emotions build resilience and rejuvenate us mentally, emotionally, and physically. Renewing emotions also set in motion 1400 biochemical and hormonal changes. But these changes are very different from those that are derived from the depleting situation. And one of these hormones is DHEA. This is the life and vitality hormone. This is the one associated with renewal, 
improved immunity, and as I said, vitality and glowing health and happiness. And specifically, renewing emotion, particularly that generates DHEA, helps with increased longevity, increased resilience to adversity, improved memory, improved problem solving, increased intuition and creativity, and improved job performance and achievement ultimately. It is up to us to create a state of ease within our bodies. We know that there are things that happen in life that help us feel really good, whether we get praise or um, kudos for something we've done at work, or we make a new friend that we love, or the person who is our love object tells us that they love us. Whatever that is for you, and you could probably pick dozens and dozens of these things that have happened in your life and continue to happen, but they don't happen regularly enough. So why wait for those things to happen in order to generate those good feelings in our body? Why not do it every day, simply and easily? So when we create a state of ease and we practice sustaining it, we're able to slow down our mental and emotional rhythms. What we do is we create an inner pause and a choice point. We're no longer ramped up on cortisol and electrical energy in our nervous system. That white noise that our cells have to compete with in order to do their job just comes way down. From this choice point, we find that we can make better decisions and respond more effectively to the events in our communities and our rapidly and changing environments in our lives. Cultivating a state of ease creates a time window or a pause for deeper discernment and a more competent, conscious, wiser choice in the moment. We know that without discernment, we continue with many of the stress loops that we create within ourselves. This discernment, this time out, can help prevent and resolve many unnecessary challenges and unwanted predicaments. It leads to smoother communication and interactions with others the pause created by the attitude of inner ease provides the opportunity for choosing not to feed the standard stress responses like blame, anxiety, impatience, constant worry, or excessive drama. So what all of this is called is intelligent energy management. Building and sustaining resilience is the intelligent management of our energy expenditures and our ability to recharge more quickly. That's simply what I'm talking about. To do this, we must become most aware of our energy expenditures. So identifying where you're draining your energy is the first step. You can't plug the bucket unless you know where the leaks are. So try this exercise at home. A couple of things that you could do to help yourself become more emotionally literate and emotionally aware to stay out of the minefields, or when you know you have to go in them, to go in them in a more resilient state in order to be able to perform the way that I know you want to perform. Number one, note three situations. Start with three. I mean, create 50 if you like, but start with three. Three situations that drain you that trigger you in some way, whether it's an anger rage situation, an impatience irritation situation, sadness or depressive situation, whatever you want to call it. Now, once you've written down those three different situations or the ones that cause you the most pain, identify the emotions that arise within you. Now, this is where the emotional literacy comes in. Learn about what emotions are called if, if you're not. 
and put a name to this. The other thing I like to do is to add on to that, and that is to think about the feeling, the visceral somatic feeling that arises in your body that accompanies the emotion and the situation. What does it feel like? What is the feeling? Is it sharp? Is it edgy? Is it a pain? Is it a dull feeling? Is it a pressure? Whatever it is. And also, where is this in your body? This just helps you become more connected with how your body is talking to you, right? When you become more literate and aware of these feelings and what they are, now you're going to know, ah, I'm in this state. I need to do something to fix it. Or I'm going to be going into this today. I better deal with creating some resilience around me, some composure, some Teflon layer so that I can go in this and perform a lot better. You can also note in this particular exercise what you have done traditionally to deal with this. Um, now, the second part of this, the second part is now the better part, and that is the renewing emotion part. So note three things. Again, you can choose 150 if you like, but start with three. Three things that bring you great joy of some sort, those good feelings in your body. And again, name the emotion, name the feeling. This helps you to latch on to those experiences that bring you good feelings to help you create um, a state of ease and coherence within your body. And in a moment, we're going to talk about two techniques. I'm going to teach you two. Um, and this is how you actually use this to your advantage, is to, to use those great, wonderful things that happen that make you feel awesome and you're going to build this into your practice. So lastly, we're going to get to the two tools, the easiest beginning tools that you can take away to practice in order to create your own easy, simple state of ease and grace to show up as you would like to. So the first is called the heart-focused breathing. This is the basic tool that HeartMath has created to um, you utilize all of their tools. Um, and you'll also get one extra today. But the heart-focused breathing is this. Think about what yoga is. It's breath, it's body awareness, meditation, whatever you want to call it. It's been around for thousands and thousands of years. This is your opportunity to gain access to your heart, to gain access to your body to open up those channels of communication within yourself. It's been proven, studies have shown that when you concentrate on an area of your body, you actually increase metabolic processes, blood flow, etc. So when you start thinking about your body, the heart focused part of the breathing, you're actually gonna activate your heart. And your heart is where you store lots of emotion, but particularly the good stuff. This is your portal. This is your gateway to the divine or whatever you believe. This is your connection to yourself and all that's good. So breathing techniques have been around for a long time and are widely used because they're effective. We know that when a child is having, for example, a tantrum, what do we say? We say breathe, just relax and breathe. Breath alone will kick in the parasympathetic side of your autonomic nervous system to bring all of your resources back to normal. And we gain benefit from conscious breathing. Most of you know the yoga breath, box breath, the Wim Hof method, all kinds of breath um, systems that we can use. And what I've learned recently too is that 
um, deep conscious emotional or breath work will actually catalyze these biochemical markers that are created with emotion. And if, you, if you've read Dr. Candace Pert's book, Molecules of Emotion, you know that there are ligands and anyway, neurotransmitters that float around. And what happens is particularly in things like trauma, these biochemical markers can get lodged various places in our body. And the way to catalyze these, to release them and let them go is breath, is fierce breath. So breathing has been a very effective way to shift into and sustain a more balanced state and to release those things that we need to release in our body. So to do heart-focused breathing, and you can do it along with me if you wish in this podcast, or you can do it on your own when you have a moment. What you need to do is to set up your space ahead of time. This is something that requires planning. Find a quiet space where there is nobody, uh, not even music in the beginning, not even music, where you're by yourself. What you want to do is you want to sit or lie quietly, which, whatever you need to do to be relaxed hands at your sides, and begin a slow and deep, steady rhythm of breathing. Begin to breathe in through your nose and out through your nose. And in through your nose, if you can, for five seconds, and out through your nose for five seconds. Now, if that's too long or too short, you govern that yourself. If you're a conscious breather, normally, do whatever makes you feel good, but begin the breathing process. And once, once you find that you're in a regular rhythm and pace that feels good, you feel centered, you feel relaxed, you feel whole, now you can begin to think about your heart in the center of your chest. And as you continue to breathe in for five and out for five, begin to think about bringing your breath in through your heart and out through your heart. So your heart is catalyzing your breath every inhale and every exhale. So with your attention and with the breath that you're bringing through your heart, you're now mobilizing your heart's resources. And you may find that you begin to feel more relaxed and more happy with time as you continue this measured, deep connection with yourself, with the breath which brings in oxygen to your cells. It's the elixir of life. And as you continue to breathe, it's okay if errant thoughts enter into your state. Simply push them aside and go back to the process. Continue to breathe in and out through your heart, five in and five out. And just be calm and just breathe. That's all you have to do. Think about your heart and breathe simple. The more you can connect with your heart, the more the errant thoughts stay away. Heart-focused breathing creates an inner pause. In this pause, you can become aware that you have a choice of how you want to respond in any upcoming situation. And you won't respond in an automatic, knee-jerk kind of reaction or behavior. That new choice that you make here in this heart-centered space can change the trajectory of the moment and the outcome in the future. Using this technique in a moment of unease, discomfort, or full-blown challenge helps to take the intensity out of it 
or in other words, to turn down the volume of your stress reaction. You can also use it to increase your composure before anything that is upcoming, a meeting with someone who disturbs you, a conversation with someone you don't particularly like, or you know that it's going to be a problem. Anything that you have to do wherein you need to show up in a composed, calm state of inner ease and grace, this is how you do it. Just do your heart-focused breathing at least five minutes. And if you've been doing this with me, you can bring your attention back into this space and we will move on to what is called the quick coherence technique. This is the second technique from the HeartMath Institute. So as we're advancing through the techniques, you come upon this one. Now this is one in which you're going to engage emotion. And as you will recall, renewing emotions increase coherence and composure. We need to practice cultivating renewing emotion in order to deepen the effect of heart-focused breathing. Sometimes it's easier to cultivate one over another. So building a repertoire of different positive emotional responses and scenarios can help you quickly flip the switch back to coherence. I'm telling you this because another technique that I call flipping the switch in the moment when you're noticing, if you forget to do heart math, when you're noticing that you're in a state of, of anger or unease anywhere along that continuum, you can make a choice to stop. Put a stop sign in your brain and say to yourself, quietly or out loud, stop. And that will stop the flow of that thought. Have you ever walked around for days ruminating about something and, and you're like, oh my God, I've been thinking about this for two days. This is ridiculous. This is how you put a stop to that thought in your body and then consciously choose one of those scenarios that you've created in your repertoire, those beautiful things that have happened to create um, joy or inner ease and begin to focus on that experience and bring that feeling, cultivate that renewing emotion in your body. So in order to carry out the quick coherence technique, you will start with the heart-focused breathing that we just did. So you can go back to breathing in and out through your nose, five seconds in and five seconds out. Think about breathing in and out through your heart. And once you've established that rhythm and you are comfortable and you feel whole and grounded, again, now make a sincere attempt to experience a regenerative feeling such as appreciation or gratitude for something in your life or someone. The care that you feel for someone or something in your life. Try to experience the last time you were given praise for something that you did and those expanded feelings of pride and joy within yourself that you experienced. And as you continue to breathe in through your nose and out through your nose, thinking about your heart, breathing in and out through your heart, now try to think about, cultivate those renewing emotions and bring them into your heart. Warm your heart with that emotion. And continue to practice that technique. It it's, might be difficult at first to focus on doing all of those different things. But this is a very, very effective um, step to take to actually building coherence because it is renewing emotion that actually creates that state of heart coherence. The um, 
the size of the sine wave will get larger with the more coherent emotion you can create within your body. And that creates better resilience. As we age, our resilience, our ability to be resilient, so the amplitude in that wave gets lower with time. So what we want to do is we want to build it back to where we were when we were younger, when we naturally were in a better state of health. Again, age does not have to dictate your health. Your practices will. So the HeartMath Institute recommends that you practice a technique, whether it's heart-focused breathing alone or your um, quick coherence technique, at least five to 15 minutes, three to four days per week in order to create a regular state of heart coherence and to build resilience. So my friends, I hope I've given you enough to think about, to ponder about, to look into perhaps, feel free, and to begin to create a practice for yourself in life that serves you, that is for you and only for you, that will help you build your resilience build your self-regulation skills, um, continue to build a sustained resilience. What happens with time as you practice this five minutes a day, three or four days a week, who doesn't have that? We all have that. It's a choice. HeartMath has shown that you will actually create a different baseline. So you simply become healthier and happier with time. And how could that be a bad thing? Thanks, everyone. Be well.